Welcome to the CEC report for the 6th of July 2018. I'm Elisa Barwick. Joining me today is CEC Research Director Robert Barwick. Welcome, Robert. Thanks, Elisa. And on today's show, crash imminent for Australia's property addicted banks and Australia's fascist laws cover up government crimes. Now, before we get started, we're going to cross to Perth for the latest from our candidate for the Perth by-election, Barry Mason. So we'll just hear quickly from him. Okay, uh, Barry Mason here reporting from Perth for the uh, by-election, upcoming by-election on the 28th of July for the federal seat of Perth. We're out here today in, in Leadable talking to people uh, who are stopping to uh, hear what we've got to say, which is uh, to break up the banks, uh, to stop their speculating and their gambling and um, talking to people in, in a business-to-business -business, uh, situation and um, meeting a lot of uh, fantastic people that are uh, you know, really uh, stopping to have a listen to what we've got to say. So uh, what we're asking, if you see us out in the streets of Perth, by all means uh, call by, say hello and um, you know, let us protect our economy from, uh, from this global financial crisis that isn't too far away. So as Barry aptly ended with there, the GFC that is oncoming is not far away and Australia has to protect its economy. Now I want to run through a series of articles that uh, there's been a whole spate of them over the last week or so uh, on the housing bubble. Firstly, this is from uh, Nine News on the 23rd June, housing prices falling across Australia as property bubble slowly deflates. And you'll see on the map there that this article reports on the beginning of the fall of housing prices. Next here is news.com.au from the 23rd of June. Housing powder keg ready to blow. Property price falls are turning out to be bigger and longer lasting than expected, this article says. But don't expect the Reserve Bank to step in to stop it. And the, well, there's not that much the Reserve Bank can do when interest rates are already so low. That's right. Um, BornToInvest.com, July 2nd, is the Australian real estate market in a bubble? And this calls Australia the canary in the coal mine for housing markets globally. And it says uh, the UBS Global Real Estate Bubble Index, which is wild that they even have such a thing, uh, <laughs> puts Australia in amongst the highest risk markets in the world and says if the conditions in the Australian real estate market sound familiar, they should. They're an almost perfect duplicate of the conditions in the US real estate market just before the 2008 crash. And it even goes on to suggest that if this blows in Australia, it'll have a worldwide impact. Uh, then we've got Wolf Street from July 2nd, update on deflating property bubbles in Sydney and Melbourne, which quotes the same core logic data from the last article. Recent home buyers could be facing negative equity. And that's a real worry for everybody out there, Elisa. And even though Australia has full recourse mortgages, which means the banks can pursue to the grave, and so Australians are the last people to usually default on their loans, if you're under negative equity, if you're in negative equity and you've got no hope, right, that then even a lot of Australians are going to go, no, I can't keep this mm. up, and there could be mass defaults. And they cite the figure for Sydney home prices falling 4.6% in June compared to one year ago. Uh, then we have the AFR from 2nd July. Um, top economists turn more bearish on property prices. And it says during the year, Sydney prices fell a steeper 4.5% for the city's worst price performance since the global financial crash in 2009. Now think about that for a minute. Everyone understood why property prices went down in the GFC. 
we supposedly don't have a GFC and we've had the same level of fall, this is the bubble starting to burst. Mm. Now, ABC News Business Journal Michael, Michael Jander pointed to how the previous decision has centred on how high home prices could rise, but suddenly all major indices are showing falling prices with leading indicators like housing finance and auction clearance rates showing no signs of a bounce. 2018 has moved on to a discussion of how far house prices will fall. Uh, and he cites ANZ and Macquarie expecting Sydney and Melbourne prices to decline by a mere 10%. Well, as Mr <laughs> Kerrigan said in the castle, tell them they're dreaming. Exactly, because once it starts, there's no bottom in this thing. Um, now, Uni University of New South Wales economics professor Richard Holden on ABC's 7.30 show on the 20th of June warned of a wave of defaults as $360 billion of interest-only loans reset to include uh, principal plus interest repayments over the next three years. And he talked about a nightmare scenario in which a lot of people need to sell at once. And that's when you see a kind of fire sale mentality and could see very significant downward pressure on prices. That puts the banks under stress and their balance sheets under stress and it could lead to significant financial instability. Uh, and he also commented in a column, Vital Signs for the Conversation, uh, that for many people this transition to principal plus interest will involve increases in monthly repayments of 30 to 40 percent. At a time when wages growth has been persistently sluggish, many people don't have much wiggle room. If their payments go up, they are going to struggle to make them. Now the wiggle room is actually less than what most people think and this was taken up also in an article by Bloomberg from the 28th of June headlined How Australia's Banks became the world's biggest property addicts. And this article describes Australia's huge gamble on property, meaning we were betting the bubble would continue to grow unabated, which was the, literally the only way borrowers could keep servicing the debt that we've taken on. Uh, in other words, they're saying it's a Ponzi scheme. And Bloomberg asked the question, how resilient will Australian households be in the event of an economic downturn? And there's a few graphs we'll show because um, some of the factors involved in how resilient we are, because they say that our banks are well capitalised for one yes. thing. Well, that's, that's the thing with the, this. There's a few things in the Bloomberg um, article where they accept the claims about the banking system. And I take exception to what they accept. And that makes their story, what their, the conclusion of their story, even worse than they say it is. Mm. Right? So, for instance, they say the banks are well capitalised. Well, they're not. We know the Australian government says that claims that our banks have 14.5% capital, which makes them unquestionably strong, but that's this ruse of risk-weighted capital. Their actual capital is only 6%, which means they're leveraged 19 times, which means that, that, that their assets only have to go down 6% for them, for them to be technically bankrupt. Right? Um, and so when you add that with then the rest of the Bloomberg article, it's mm. really, really uh, frightening. And they do show here in this graph that we'll put up uh, that our household debt is over 120% of GDP. And they say in the article that anything over 80% is a problem. So this is well, way Well, look over. how much higher... Look, the, the, what's useful about this graph is the comparison to the rest of the world. Look how much higher than the rest of the world we are. And I'll, we don't have a graph for it, but, it, but the other thing that's much higher than the rest of the world uh, in, in this context is the amount of borrowing 
sorry, lending that our banks do into property. It's 63% of their business. Mm. Now, even in America, at the height of the GFC, banks weren't lending more than 40% of their, of their, doing more than 40% of their lending into, into housing. Nowadays, British, US banks are down to 30%. British banks are down to 20%. Mm. Hong Kong, which has a, its own bubble, the banks in Hong Kong only do 15% of their lending into housing. Mm. Australia's, no banks in the world have been as exposed to property ever mm. that Australia's banks are at the moment. Mm, no wonder there's warnings that this is a threat to the whole global system. Um, and they, they point out that despite, well, this was another one of their you know, little delusions, despite 27 years of economic growth, um, the article says even still that people are scrimping to pay the mortgage. Well, and, and, and it's worth explaining that. Despite 20, everyone hears this line, 27 years of economic growth. What you've got to understand is for the second half of those 27 years at least, that it, or, or more, two-thirds of it, that economic growth has actually been mostly the growth of this property bubble. So mm -hmm. it's not real economic growth. So this is, a, this is the Ponzi scheme thing that, again, right? Mm -hmm. they've, they've, just, they've, they've recorded this as economic growth where all it is, it's been the growth in something that has been sapping the rest of us. We call that a cancer, mm -hmm. right? That's what we're dealing with. Yeah, and then they talk about the fact that um, our, we certain vulnerabilities include interest-only loans shifting to include principal, which this graph shows how the repayments could almost double. Well, and no one can handle that, Elisa. Going from payments of possible $1,800 uh, $1 a month to $3,500 a month, you can't handle. We'll put no. the other chart up on the screen that shows the growth in these interest-only loans in the last five years. There's a huge chunk of interest-only loans mm -hmm that'll reset after five years, and there's a wave of them coming through now where people are gonna be dealing with these types of jumps in um, uh, repayments. Yeah. And the other thing that I wanna point out about this article, they, they talk about how last year, I couldn't believe this when I read it, last year the Reserve Bank did a study that said the average borrower has a buffer on repayments equivalent to two and a half years. So you, if, you're, if you're an average borrower listening to this, yeah. the Reserve Bank thinks you've got two and a half years of repayments stuck in your back pocket somewhere as a buffer if something goes wrong. That, if the Reserve Bank actually believes that, then everyone should be terrified, mm. right? We are being ruled by fools. There's no way that's true. Finder.com does these regular surveys, and the last one was 54% of, of mortgage holders could not handle a $100 a month increase in their payments or else it would trip them over the edge, mm. right? So the Reserve Bank, which we expect, like with APRA, is sort of supervising all this, you know, has everything under control, they're in a totally, totally different alternative reality. Yeah. Now we have to take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this to discuss the implications of all this. Welcome back to the CEC Report where we're discussing the imminent collapse of our mortgage-ridden banks. Uh, now, of course, the solution we've talked about a lot on the show is the Glass-Steagall solution, which is to take all the speculative activity off the bank's books, which dries up the bubble. Well, it's two, uh, two, Glass-Steagall does two things. One, when this crashes, if it's in place, it protects us mm. from that crash, mm. right? That's the most important. There's a real urgency to that side of it. The second one is what you just said. If you, if you impose Glass-Steagall, all the gambling that the banks do on these mortgages, which makes them so profitable for them, because that's, that, that's what they, they, they make a loan, then they go and make all these bets on the loan, mm. right? They can't do that. And if, you, and if you, they can't do that anymore, then that huge 
pile lending into, into property stops, it'll slow down, sorry, and we can um, you know, start cleaning it up. Mm. Now, fortunately, um, Federal MP for Kennedy, Bob Catter, tabled legislation which includes this, all the powers to do this, on, in the Federal Parliament on the 25th of June. Uh, and if you haven't already done so, ring your Member of Parliament, even better go and visit your Member of Parliament to demand they back this bill. We need to get a majority of support to get this even debated. debated. So that's the next fight that we have to wage. So follow up your MP if you haven't heard their response on how they would vote on this demand they raise it for debate. Um, now, after Bob tabled this legislation, it was interesting, he went along to the Royal Commission, he actually intervened demanding action on you know, what the farmers require to get justice from the banks. Uh, the Royal Commission into farming was extended at that point and then later in the week the Senate actually voted up a motion demanding the government extend it for an additional year, which is not binding, but there's a certain pressure here which is yeah, very, which very, is very useful. And also in the same week there was a discussion that was raised by two Queensland economists, Mark McGovern and Ben Rees, um, calling for a development bank. And these were both members of Queensland's 2016 Rural Debt and Drought Task Force. And they said rural lending used to be based on long-term finance with an eye to long-term success, not immediate cash flow needed to repay. So there's more of a focus coming on what are banks for? What That's do we right. have to return them to? And, and what, the way to think about this particular proposal is that is it's, it's about recapitalising our economy. There's so much of the money in our economy is speculative money. Mm. Right, which is a parasite, and we put out a press release this week, Elisa. Yesterday, in fact, it was it was quoting a statement issued by Dr. Wilson Sy, who's had, has been helping us on this campaign for Glass Steagall, and of course, he's an expert in banking. He used to work at APRA, and his whole release called "Why Glass Steagall," but it's it's about how f speculation is a cancer, and Glass Steagall is necessary to, to as an operation to cut the cancer out of the system. But once you do that, you've got to recapitalise. Once you get the speculation out, you've got to recapitalise the economy with real productive credit, right? That can get the economy going again. And so you need institutions like public banks, mm. the development bank, as their proposal to do that. Yep. Now, I want to situate this in the context because we're undergoing a major shift, and our tabling of this bill in the parliament is an indication of a turning point for a major political shift where the population are awakening because of the crisis and we've seen of course this happening for example since the election of Jeremy Corbyn to the leadership of the opposition Labor Party in the UK we saw it with the election of Trump um, we've seen it with Brexit we've seen it in the recent Italian elections where left and right came together to form a coalition which included policies like Glass-Steagall and these are shifts driven by the people these are voter-driven shifts. These are not um, top-down directed things, right? Organised things, and, yeah. And, and all the normal, all the normal uh, strictures over politics that usually keep politics quite uh, tightly controlled are breaking mm. down as this is happening. That's why, that's why we can talk about Trump and Corbyn in the same sentence, even though they're very different types of people. Mm -hmm. It's not about them. It's about the public that's saying, we want to change here. Mm -hmm. And uh, another case of this has just occurred in the United States, where on the 26th of June, a 28-year-old political newcomer defeated a 20-year veteran incumbent candidate, uh, Representative Joe Crowley, in the Democratic primary. Now, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, um, she's the 28-year-old. Uh, she won by 57% of the vote to his 43. 
He's the fourth ranking Democrat in the House by seniority, was chairman of the House Democratic Caucus and a leading candidate to replace Nancy Pelosi as House Democratic leader. And the same day, Ben Jealous won the Democratic primary for governor of Maryland, defeating a party-backed candidate uh, with 40% of the vote in a nine-way race. Which by US standards is very impressive. Exactly. Um, so, so this is good. So these are primaries. Uh, and they're both backed by newly formed activist groups drawn from the Bernie Sanders networks. Ocasio-Cortez uh, campaigned for Glass-Steagall explicitly and she said that she won the vote of unlikely voters who are never even contacted by uh, pollsters. And last week, Elisa, we, we played this clip from three years ago where um, Fox Business was saying that because one of the first candidates to declare in the US presidential process Martin O'Malley campaigned for Glass-Steagall. He, he said he was going to go for Glass-Steagall. They called him Wall Street's public enemy number one. Mm. And his campaign didn't go anywhere, but, but Bernie Sanders picked up what he did and Bernie Sanders made Glass-Steagall the issue last year, or in 2016, and that's continuing now. So even though Wall Street uses all its corrupt power to keep the Congress in line, um, that is breaking... This, this woman spent $300,000 on her campaign Compared to the, the guy she beat, who spent four million dollars, mm. that's Wall Street money. But when the you know you're at this point where all those normal things, the money that usually keeps politics under control, mm -hmm. isn't enough anymore no. to stop this up, upswelling of public anger. And an anti-establishment candidate, Manuel Lopez Obrador, uh, has just won uh, the Mexican election, and uh, they're calling him uh, Mexico's Jeremy Corbyn. So that was another shock upset that wasn't expected. So there's more of these on the cards and it's about to hit Australia. So everything we do to put Glass-Steagall and our other solutions in the mix is critical. Now call in to get a free copy of our Australian Alert Service if you haven't already to find out more. Um, and if you're in Perth, and if you're in Perth, support Barry Mason's campaign. Mm. And we'll be right back to talk about our fascist national security laws after this break. Welcome back to the CEC report. Finally, Australia's fascist laws cover up government crimes. So as we reported in the show last week, last Thursday night, uh, the suite of new foreign interference and espionage laws passed the Australian Parliament. Uh, and we showed, of course, last week, Federal Member of Parliament Andrew Wilkie denouncing these bills, saying that we are in a pre-police state. And he went through saying that these uh, laws represent a threat to the liberties of Australians, freedom of speech, can endanger the right to protest, deny protection to whistleblowers and limit access to international institutions. Uh, now we've also had in the last week New South Wales opposition leader Luke Foley denouncing a new McCarthyism and Cold War mentality which he said is being cultivated by the news media, fed by ASIO leaks, intelligence leaks in regard to allegations such as the one that he was um, speaking about, and that is of New South Wales Labor Member of Parliament Ernest Wong being so-called cultivated by Chinese agents for which no evidence has been presented. And he simply said, if there's concerns, ASIO can brief me on these concerns, but they never have. And he said, I won't stand by where the loyalties of half a million Chinese Australians are questioned. There is a taint here. And Elisa, I just want to compare that to We've got British-born members of Parliament who love everything British, starting with Tony Abbott, who is so enamoured with all things English that he gave Prince Philip a knighthood yeah. at Her Majesty's request. 
that's natural for that kind of affinity to his homeland. We've got um, Jewish members of parliament who like taking, even organising delegations over to Israel, right, and have an affinity to Israel. That's natural for them. Well, here's a Chinese member of parliament that just mm. because he's Chinese and he is friendly towards China, mm. suddenly he's a foreign agent, yeah. right? This is, and, and, and the, the Chinese-Australian community, which is the big, biggest ethnic community in Australia, is starting to feel um, uh, sort of like the public is suspicious of them, and that's not fair, mm. and people should really take that seriously. And this is the way the Sydney Morning Herald described the allegations on 29, 28th of June. Mr Wong's case is one of the very few confirmed recent instances in which foreign intelligence agencies might have cultivated a serving Australian politician. Luke Foley did the right thing by, by challenging ASIO here because ASIO, which we say is, a, is itself an example of foreign interference because it doesn't represent our interests, it represents the five eyes, which is the way the US and UK control the, the Anglosphere through their intelligence agencies. ASIO is constantly leaking this rubbish into the community to be picked up by, like in the newspaper like this, mm. right? And a further an agenda. Yeah. Now, Andrew Wilkie, after he made this speech about these new laws, he revealed under parliamentary privilege that the former spy, and uh, this is the guy who uh, revealed the ASIS bugging of the East Timorese ministers, Witness K, and his lawyer, were being charged and might face up to two years in jail. Uh, but he called the government's bugging operation, which was the problem in the first place, not the whistleblower, illegal and unscrupulous. And let look who's, you know, ending up getting two years in jail potentially. And I don't know if people are how aware they are of this case, but here's little East Timor that we took credit for liberating from Indonesia. Good old Australia, we went those terrible Indonesians, we liberated East Timor. And then when, when we liberated them, Alexander Downer sat down on one side of the table and he abused the East Timorese on the other side of the table, basically said, you're giving up your oil. Right? That was the whole agenda all along. Well, as part of the negotiations, the company that was going to benefit from that was Woodside. ASUS, which we think is there to protect us from the communist threat or whatever else, you know, it's our MI6. ASUS actually went and bugged the cabinet of East Timor so that our side knew what they were saying and what their strategy was in the negotiation. Mm. So we had the upper hand. Who benefited from that? Woodside. When down and quit politics, where did he go and work? Yeah. Woodside. Right, this is this is so corrupt. It's not funny. So here's a guy, an ASIS agent, who said, "I cannot. I know this happened. I have to say something." He didn't even become a whistleblower. He went through the proper procedures, had a lawyer helping him, mm -hmm. and now Christian Porter last week signed off on a on a charge where those two now face two years jail for this. And I want to compare it to Julian Assange. Julian Assange, we should our government should be helping him, right? But no, we're happy for America to persecute him, so he has to be in hiding there in, in uh, the Ecuadorian embassy. What did he reveal? The truth. He revealed gross wrongdoing by our side, America, etc., in the Iraq war and things like that. What did Edward Snowden reveal? The truth. Our side, we, we, we boast about human rights and we attack other countries for human rights, yet they, these people have, have exposed enormous human rights abuses from our side. What damn hypocrites we are. And we, our system gets to put them in jail. This is fascism. This mm. is a police state. That's what we live in, people. And it's proceeding rather rapidly in the UK. They're facing, they've got a whole suite of new national security laws up for a vote now, which former MI6, MI5 agent Annie Michon denounced as a potentially dangerous blueprint for a techno-Stasi state. And Australia is hosting in August 
the Five Eyes Summit, which is the spying alliance with us, the UK, the US and New Zealand and Canada. Um, so it's proceeding rapidly. We have to break it by getting the population mobilised. And the starting point really is to go in with Glass-Steagall. We can begin to clean up the mess there so we can economically survive in order to change these other things. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks, thanks. Robert. Thanks, Lisa. See you next time.